The following audio is from Grace City Church in San Diego, California. More information about Grace City Church is available at gracecitysd.com. Galatians 1, 1 through 9. Paul, an apostle, not from men nor through man, but through Jesus Christ and God the Father who raised him from the dead and all the brothers who are with me to the churches of Galatia. Grace to you and peace from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ, who gave himself for our sins to deliver us from the present evil age, according to the will of our God and Father, to whom be the glory forever and ever. Amen. I am astonished that you are so quickly deserting him who called you in the grace of Christ and are turning to a different gospel. Not that there is another one, but there are some who trouble you and want to distort the gospel of Christ. But even if we or an angel from heaven should preach to you a gospel contrary to the one we preach to you, let him be accursed. As we have said before, so I now say again, if anyone is preaching to you a gospel contrary to the one you received, let him be accursed. Let's pray. God, your word is living and active. It goes forth as you have sent it to accomplish that which you desire, Lord. It divides our soul and spirit. It judges our hearts and our motives. And we come to you, Lord, in awe of your word, because this is good news. And we are grateful for the good news that you've given us, Lord, that Jesus died for us, that we stand washed in the blood of Christ, and we are your children. God, anoint Randall as he speaks to us. May his words go into our heart and change us. In Jesus' name. Amen. All right. Thank you, Nancy. Well, good morning. Welcome to Grace City. Uh, Thank you for joining us today. Um, If you're new this morning, uh, this is the perfect time to jump in. Uh, Right now, we are starting a series called uh, Who We Are. And so you're jumping in, you're saying, well, what is this church all about? This is the perfect time to, to jump in. And so uh, last week we had Vision Sunday. Uh, it was a great day. And uh, if you weren't able to be here last week, I would encourage you to go back, listen to what we talked about last week. Uh, we've got podcasts, videos online, all that stuff. And so um, any time during this series too, I would encourage you, check it out. You know, if you're not able to make one Sunday, that's okay. Just Go back, check out the podcasts or videos. And so today, uh, we're going to start this series, Who We Are. Um, And you're thinking, okay, well, what's this church about? Well, the first thing above everything else is this, that we are about the gospel. We are about the gospel of Jesus Christ. And um, the Apostle Paul is writing to this Galatian church that is a little bit confused about what the gospel is. Now, simply, the gospel means good news. But what is it that makes the gospel so unique, so distinctive, that Paul has to write to them specifically about this and say, you forgot. You forgot the good news. You're looking to something else that's not good news. And so that's why today we're looking at Galatians 1, 1 through 10. And that's why for us as a church, we will continue to look at the gospel and say, what is the gospel? What does it mean to our lives? And what is the real, true gospel that comes into our lives because of Jesus? Um, And so for our church, we are a church that wants to equip you with the gospel for everyday life. 
We believe that the message of Jesus is not just a Sunday morning, come, listen, absorb, but it is a go and tell people. It's something that speaks into your life on so many different levels that it changes us. And uh, we are a gospel-centered church. And so this message today is what catalyzes all the other messages that I'm going to speak throughout this series. So we've got uh, today, including today, six weeks where we're going to be looking at the six different core values of Grace City. And this is the one that's like the overarching catalyst to all of them. Um, So I would ask you, would you consider being here, not just this week, but the next five weeks to jumping in and saying, okay, what what, what is this church all about? And what is God calling me to do? You see, the gospel is not just the entry point into the Christian life. It is the intersection where all of life opens up. If you get this, all of life will start to open up. The Christian life, what is the Christian life? It starts and it it just flows through the gospel the good news of Jesus. So that's where it starts. That's where it goes. It's, it's like, it's this open door into a new world. So you say, well, why is the gospel so important? Well, because it's this. It's the hope that you and I have a better story than the one we see around us. It is the hope that there's a better story that's being told. Uh, recently, my wife just finished up Downton Abbey, Okay, and so she had just finished up the series. She's watching the series. Um, it's great and all, but, you know, she's watching it, and I'm trying to fall asleep, and it's just, uh, it's hard to do that when the show's going on. And so something happened, something amazing happened. She says, you know, this is the last episode of Downton Abbey. And um, I said, wow, that's, that, that must be really hard, you know, that this is the last episode. She says, yeah, it really, it's, it's really hard for me to start this episode because I know that it's going to be done. And it, I can't, you know, watch it and just be able to take it in, in, in anew. And I said, yeah, it's, that's really sad. Um, and, uh, and so she watches the final epos- episode. Everything just comes together beautifully. She's so inspired by this episode, right? And then... Uh, it comes around, and uh, I'm going into the bedroom, and I'm like, hold on, you're watching it again. <laughs> something happened, like, hold on, is there like a new, like, you know, teaser, something going on? Like, what, what's going on here? You, you're, you're watching down now. I thought you watched the last episode. She said, I did. I've got to watch this over again. It was so good. I have to watch it over again. And so what was good news to my wife's heart was that she gets to watch Down Abbey again. And I asked her, I said, last night I asked her, I said, what is so good about Down Abbey? She says, it takes you into this other world. This other world where I have no understanding of this world, but it is just so beautiful and so great. And just seeing how everything works out and people are transformed because of it. What Down Abbey can become is this gospel, right? Like, wow, there's, there's a story that's being told that, that's better, maybe, than the one that I'm living right now. So I want to live through this world. I want to see this world. I want to see what's happening because the gospel is like this. It's something that you can't watch just one time, but you continually watch over and over and over and over again. And when the gospel takes root in your heart, it actually gets better and better and better and better. 
because you start to see the nuances of it. You start to see the beauties of it. You start to see Jesus more and more, and you say, this is it. This is what life is all about. See, the gospel is the story that truly gets better and better and better every time. And it's everywhere. You know, Martin Luther says you can see it just written throughout our world. In the trees and in the fall and the, the beauty of spring. And when it comes back, you know, last, uh, yesterday uh, we were putting down my daughter Ava. She's three for her nap. And uh, my wife said to her, she says, Ava, you look like a little angel as you're sitting there just getting ready for bed. And, you know, she's just laying there like this. And she says, Mommy, I'm, I'm trying to listen. She says, I'm listening for the wind. And maybe I could hear the gospel. And we didn't know what that meant, but she was tapping into something that's true. If you listen to, to the rhythms of this world, to the way that God created everything, then you will start to see the gospel in it all. You'll start to see it in everything. You'll start to hear it in the wind. See, the gospel is a reality where we can be completely known, completely understood, completely loved, and completely accepted. The gospel is an identity that you and I don't have to fight for, strive for, or earn. It is a security that you can never lose. The gospel is a way of life that invites you and me to live adventurously like we never thought possible. The gospel is the best news that you will ever hear in your life. And because of this, the gospel is a, is a story that is based not on fiction, not just a story, but reality. Reality. See, the gospel is true. Here's why. Because it's rooted in history. It's rooted in a person. It's rooted in the life, death, burial, and resurrection of Jesus. And some of you say, well, I don't know if I could believe today. I don't know if that, 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 that really resonates with my heart because it happened 2,000 years ago. But as you study history, what, what this does is it intersects in our lives and says, yes, it's possible because this is it. Could it be that God didn't send you and me an argument but he sent a person. He sent himself. Because some of us today are looking, well, what's the perfect argument that I could believe in God? And the only answer that God gives us is not this perfect answer, but a perfect person. He says, look at this perfect person. Look at what he's done. And that is the, the funnel. And that's, he says, that's where the gospel starts. I'm not going to give you the argument. I will give you a person. It's a person that became fully man, but yet was fully God. He came to be with us. See, the gospel is about what God has done to rescue messy, sinful people. The gospel is what God has accomplished what God has sacrificed. The gospel is all about God. And when God comes into your life, he becomes the best news you've ever heard. And here's the beauty of it. It's for you. It's for you. And so whatever you've done in your life, wherever you've been, where, however far you feel like you are from God, and, and it's for you. He came 
He said it's for you. See, our struggle is that many of us have stopped believing in a better story. We stopped believing that it was possible that there, there could be a better story for lives. We, we struggle because maybe we've given up hope that we could overcome that addiction, given up hope that we could break out of our depression, given up hope that life will ever make sense, given up hope that maybe a distant God could ever love me. Me. Because here's the, the truth. We all know that maybe God could possibly love somebody else, but when we look in the mirror, it's hard to believe that God could love me. Why? Because we know all of our mess-ups, all of our, our sins, all of our baggage. We know it all. Maybe we've had people before that says, you're just too much for me. I can't handle you. And they push us away and they don't love us right where we're at. So it's hard for us to believe. See, in his biography of Apple founder and architect Steve Jobs, Walter Isaacson gives us a glimpse into Jobs' life, and here's what he says. He says, One sunny afternoon, when he wasn't feeling well, Jobs sat in the garden behind his house and reflected on death. He talked about his experiences in India almost four decades earlier, his study of Buddhism, his views on reincarnation and spiritual transcendence. He says, I'm about 50-50 on believing in God. For most of my life, I've felt that there must be more to our existence than meets the eye. I like to think something survives after you die. See, what, what Jobs was wrestling with was, is there an existence beyond this one? Is there a reality or a story beyond this one? It's the lament in the Postal Service song, Clark Gable, I want so badly to believe there is truth, real love, and I want life in every word to the extent that it's absurd. Right? Isn't there something that we want beyond just this? And so is there more to life? Is there a better story? The gospel of Jesus Christ proclaims an overwhelming yes. And it's verses like this in Psalm 8 that give us this gospel hope. It says this in Psalm 8, 4. What is man that you are mindful of him? And the son of man that you care for him. Could it be that the God of the universe, the God who created all things, is mindful of you? Could it be that God sees you? Could it be that he knows every detail of your life and he cares? Could that be possible? If you're struggling with the reality of God today, could you consider for a moment that there might be a God who loves you like that? Who comes to you like that? See, it's the heart of the gospel. And so this message today is of utmost importance because if we don't get this, we will continue on the endless cycle, right? The, the hamster wheel of looking for a better story and a new relationship and we'll think that that new relationship is our gospel, but that gospel will fall short. We think it's the new job is gonna be our gospel. That's gonna be my good news if I could just get this. But it will fall short. 
a new promotion, new possessions, more stuff. In the end, they will all be false gospels and they will all fall short. It won't last. It will end up empty. And so Galatians 1, 1 through 10 is what we're going to study today. And um, if you've got your Bibles, you can turn there right now. We're going to go through this text. We're going to break this down to really see what the Apostle Paul is saying about the gospel. Now, um, this, this book right here of Galatians was written by the Apostle Paul. And um, this one is different than some of the other letters that he writes. Now, in the book of Ephesians or other places, he'll write these long introductions. And in this book right here, he doesn't give much of an introduction at all, but he jumps right in to this message of the gospel. Um, now, this book is written to a people who've lost sense of their need for God and for the gospel. Uh, there had been false teachers that had come in and say, look at all these other things. And so they diverted people's attention away from Jesus, away from the good news of what Jesus came to bring. And uh, so Paul's response in this book is he just explodes with the gospel. You're going to see it all through the book of Galatians. And again, this this series, we are studying through this book of Galatians. So we're going to be going through it, and you're going to see it all throughout this book. It's amazing. Um, but that's what he's doing through this book, is he's here to share the gospel. So you're going to see it four times where he's just like, gospel, 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 gospel. And here's a question. How does the gospel give us a better story for life? What is Paul fighting so hard for? we find that it gives us a better story in three ways. And so I'm going to give you all three ways up front. First, it's this. It gives us a new approach, a new focus, and a new identity. So if you're taking notes, a new approach, a new focus, and a new identity. So the first point, a new approach. Look at verses three and four. He says, Grace to you and peace from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ, who gave himself for our sins to deliver us from the present evil age. Okay, let's stop there. So what, what is Paul saying? Paul right here is laying out a new approach of how we relate to God. Of how we relate to God. Many of us think that the starting place to a relationship with God is we must give ourselves to God. We must get ourselves right. We must clean ourselves up. That's what we think. But what Paul starts with is he says, no, it's grace is the place to start. That's the place where you start. And so the, the way to enter into a relationship with God is through grace. Not through saying, okay, I got to get myself right. See, many of us naturally approach God and we say, God, here's my resume. Here's my resume. Here's all the things I've done. Here's all the things I haven't done. Here's my resume, God. This, this is, uh, you, you've got to accept me based on this because I haven't hung out with these people. I haven't done these things. And so God, even today, like do you approach God and saying, let me look at my week. Let me look through my week and see how I'm approaching God. Is it just saying, okay, God, you have to love me because here's what I've done. Paul's saying that is not the way that we approach God. The way Paul is saying is we approach him entirely differently. First, he's saying that you and I can't come to God. You and I can't build a resume long enough to satisfy God. Because what he says is, it was God who gave himself for our sins. 
See, we're sinners. We are rebels. We've, we've run from God. And so this was so desperate that it wasn't us, God, saying, hey, just give me yourself. But it was so desperate that God says, no, I have to go down there. I have to give myself for them. It was a completely different approach than what we thought it was to relate to God. Because I remember when I first became a, a believer, I, I was 16 years old. And, I, and I, I remember getting myself cleaned up for church that day. I, I wore this really, you know, nice button-down shirt, tucked in, all that you know, wasn't going to curse that day because I was going to church, right? And so, like, I was going to talk, you know, just, like, casually with everybody else and all that stuff. And so I was just cleaning my life up, trying to get myself right so that I could go in and hear about God. But what I walked out with that day was not that I had to clean myself up, but that God was the only one that could clean me up. See, many of us struggle. We say, well, God, I can't go to church today because you— You've seen what I've done this past week. He's like, I know. That's why I came. I came because I knew that you couldn't clean your life up. See, this flies in the face of all the self-help, clean up your life type material that you can find on any bookshelf and, and really at the, the Amazon top 10 list. How do I better my life? What Paul says is the only way for your life to become better is to start with grace. See, many times what we do, and this is what we do, and so we can get into this religious mindset, and we can say, I can work my way uh, up, and I can strive my way to God. And what happens is we think that we can work God into our debt. And say, God, because here's what happens. Many of us have come to God and say, God, you didn't give me what you promised me. I thought you saw me, God. I, 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 you thought you were going to give me this, this, and this. And so what we were doing was we were becoming really religious to get something from God. We didn't want God. We wanted his stuff. We wanted his stuff. And so we, work, we try to work our God into our debt instead of saying, okay, God, like you came to me. You came to us. Paul's saying it's impossible to work God into our debt. See, this is much more desperate. What he's saying here, as, as we read through this verse, as we look at this, and he says, God gave himself for our sins to deliver us from the present evil age. He's saying this, that God didn't come to make bad people good people. God came to make dead people alive. He came to raise people up into a new life. We were dead in our sins. It says we were dead in our trespasses in the book of Romans. And so we were dead in our trespasses. And the reason God came, the reason Jesus came, was a, a rescue mission. It was a rescue mission. You say, well, okay, I know what you're thinking. Sin isn't that pretty archaic? Isn't that just a word that preachers use to scare people, right? Are we past that as a society? Sin? In the 70s, uh, psychiatrist Carl Menninger wrote a book called Whatever Became a Sin. And this is somebody who wasn't a Christian per se, but he just said, whatever happened to this idea of sin? 
And he tells this profound story. He says, uh, on a sunny day in uh, September 1972, a stern-faced, plainly-dressed man was standing in the streets of Chicago. As pedestrians would pass by, he would take his right arm and pointing to that person nearest him, loudly single out people and say, guilty. Then without any change of expression, he would resume with this stance and repeating, he would point to another person and again say, guilty. What Menninger says is the effect was extraordinary, almost eerie. People would stare at him, hesitate, look away, look at each other and then at him again and then hurry on their way. One man turning to another exclaiming, how did he know? How did he know? There's a strange sense that all of us feel that we're guilty. And it doesn't matter how far modern science takes us and all of these advances that we, we have in our world, there is a sense that we feel guilty. But why? For what? Apostle Paul is saying is that we are guilty before God. We stand guilty before God. And instead of just giving us the guilty verdict, what Paul is saying is that the sun came down. The sun came down to you and me. And that's why Paul is so adamant here, and he, he uses this graphic imagery when he says this word, deliver. Deliver. What, what this is, is this active word of a snatching out. He's saying, I'm snatching you out of that world. I'm snatching you out of that story that you're living right now. It is so desperate that I have to snatch you out of there. Just like my daughter who's running into the street and there's an oncoming car. As a father, I yell out, I scream out, I snatch her out of the way because I know that there's danger. What Paul's saying is that there's a heavenly father who loves us, who says, I'm going to snatch you out of the danger. It's a new approach. See, many of us think that we must approach God and get our lives right. Here's what the order we think it is. It's be good, try really hard to live a good life, and then maybe God accepts me. And what that is is every other religion in the world. If you break it down, what it is, it's, it's live a good life and maybe this will happen. The gospel is completely different. The gospel approaches this. This is what Paul says. He says, starts with the bad news, like we're sinners in need of grace. We need a rescue. And so Jesus has to snatch us out of harm's way by sacrificing himself. And now, because of the sacrifice of Jesus, God accepts us solely on the basis of his son through grace. What is grace? It's undeserved favor. We didn't earn it. We can't say, God, look at what I did. That's why we say there's no one else that we can boast in except for Jesus. That's what he's saying here. Ray Ortland says this. He says, what matters most to God is not what sins we've committed or not committed, 
or how we stack up in comparison with other sinners. What matters most to God is whether we have bonded by faith with his only son. God's final category for you is not your goodness versus your badness, but your union with Christ versus your distance from Christ. Do you approach God in that way? Do you believe that your, your only way to approach God is through the Son? One commentator on this verse says, other founders of religions came to teach, not to rescue. Jesus was a great teacher. Paul gives us the nutshell version of Jesus' ministry. He makes no mention of that at all. Jesus is not so much a teacher as he is a rescuer. He's a rescuer. It's a new approach. Jesus came to rescue sinful people. But then we get a new focus. And so that, that, the, the new focus is this. Look at verses four and five. He says uh, that in the second part of four, according to the will of our God and Father, to whom be the glory forever and ever, amen. Why did God save us? Why did God save us? Well, we find here it's not because we were good. It's not because we were smarter or better looking. But according to God, it was his will. It was the will of our Father. It was the will of God to save. God came to us and he chose to do this. God chose to save us because he's a good father. He's a good father. Not because we're good. It's not about our goodness. It's about his grace. It's solely about his grace. See, this is purely undeserved. We didn't ask for rescue, but God still sent his son. And so verse five really tells us what our response should be. That God gets all the credit he gets all the credit. See, what this does is it, it turns this, this life, right? The focus of our life changes. Because for many of us today, if we walk in, we say, what is the focus of my life? Who am I? What, what does this all work out to be? What we say is, really, at the end of the day, if we're honest, it's about me. It becomes a me-centered life. Really, we're living to the glory of our name. I mean, with social media and you know, everything that's out there right now that we can put ourselves out there, we say, well, it's very easy to be all about my glory. But when you are saved, when, you, when Jesus, when you come into to a knowledge of who he is, a saving relationship with him, it says that the focus of your life changes from a me-centered life to a God-centered life. God becomes the center of your life. And, and what Paul says in verse six, he's like, he's, he, things really, he, he really breaks this down. He says, look, I am astonished that you're so quickly deserting him who called you in the grace of Christ and are turning to a different gospel. He's like, look at what God has done and now you're turning to other things? Now you're turning to lesser things? Now you're turning to a, a story that's so much worse than the story of Jesus? Like, why did he call us? He called us by grace. It wasn't because, again, we earned it. Here's what it is. When we reject God's grace and try to earn our own way, what Paul is saying is we're rejecting God himself. God, I got this. 
I can do this. I can work my way into your good favor, into good standing with you. He's saying we're rejecting God himself because what's the whole thing that God's been trying to present to us this whole time? Himself. Himself. He says, I want you to have a relationship with me, not with a relationship with the stuff that I can give you. With me. It's real, it's genuine, it's authentic. And the only thing you can do when, when, when you come into that type of relationship with, with him is your focus changes. Your focus changes completely about life. Your, a gospel-centered life is when your focus is on God. You say it's all about him. It's all about what he's done. It's all about Jesus. Even Hebrews 12, one through two helps us in understanding this. It says, let us run with perseverance the race marked out for us, fixing our eyes on Jesus, the pioneer and perfecter of faith. See, your focus changes when the gospel becomes true in your heart and it becomes real, it it, it transforms you. And then the last part is he says, and this is the third point, we find in verse 10, a new identity, a new identity. And so look at what verse 10 says. He says, for, I'm now, for am I now seeking the approval of man or of God? Or am I trying to please man? If I were still trying to please man, I would not be a servant of Christ. Paul's identity completely changes. Now this is a very accomplished man. Somebody who's done a lot. But the way that he describes himself as he says, I am a doulos of Christ. A servant. Um, The way that he would describe it, if you look at the original language, it, it means a bond servant. So he is bonded himself to Christ and said it's not about my will anymore but it's all about his will. The, the, the will changes. He says I don't want my will anymore. I want God's will. I want what God wants for my life. His identity is wrapped around Jesus. And what he says is this. It actually gives him this unbelievable freedom. He says, no longer am I controlled by popular opinion. No longer am I controlled by the approval of what others think of me. He says, now what I have is this approval that will never leave. He says, I am standing solely in the approval of God. What God thinks of me. Who God says I am. Isn't the battle that you and I face on a daily basis what people think or what we even think of ourselves see this idea of of God breaking through and my identity no longer is in myself but it's one that's received right because in verse 9 he says it's a received identity God says this is who you are now you are my son now you are my daughter you are receiving an identity from me I am giving this to you freely. When you understand this, what happens is there's a breakthrough. It's a breakthrough moment. 
I remember my breakthrough moment. Um, I was reading this book. It's a short little book. It's called The Freedom of Self-Forgetfulness. I was in ministry. And what I found is a lot of my life I was building a resume for God. I was saying, here's all the things I've done, God. Here's all the great things. And there's the, the, the ministry was growing and all these things were happening. And, and, and I was building this resume saying, God, look at what I've done. And then when I read this book, I realized that my identity wasn't in what I do. I realized that it was in what Jesus had completed for me. See, I, I thought I had to prove myself. I thought I had to get my identity on what other people thought of me. Because for a lot of my life, I've struggled with acceptance. Accept, I just want to be accepted. I just want to be liked. And what I found was, as I read this book, it said that it, it wasn't my identity was partially in Jesus or mostly in Jesus, but I was completely in Jesus. My identity was no longer in what others thought of me or even what I thought of myself because there were times where I struggled. I thought, man, maybe I'm a failure. I got this thing that goes in the back of my mind saying, you're not doing enough, you're not doing enough, you're not doing enough. I have that. It's still in there to this day. But the gospel revolutionized my life to the point where I could say, I'm complete in him. And I remember getting to the end of the book and, and it talking about judgment. You know, you judge yourself, others will judge you, but then Jesus was judged in my place and he took the full judgment on my behalf. And now he just gives it to me and says, it's yours. And it's just a short little book, 30-minute read, and I was just in tears. I was in tears. So is that what God could truly think of me? Is that what, what God could believe about me? Is this true? It revolutionized my, my life to the point where I could say, you know what, I could face looking like a failure to people. I could face becoming obscure. If that's what you want for my life, God, I will do it. It revolutionized everything for me. And what Paul is saying is that it revolutionized everything for him. He says, there's a breakthrough, and now I am seeking after Jesus. I'm not seeking after man anymore. Not seeking after what people think of me. It is solely what Jesus thinks. And he says, I'm fully his. I'm fully loved. I'm fully accepted. And I can be a servant of Christ. So what are the implications of the gospel? The first one is this. It gives us a new lens to see everything. It gives us a new lens to see everything. And so first, it's for ourselves. A new lens to see yourself. Because here's what it should do. It should humble us to the dirt. Like, it should humble us down. Like, okay, here's what I am. Like, where we can sing a song like, okay, God, you've saved, amazing grace, you've saved a wretch like me. Because here's why. You and I know better our sins than anybody else. We can play games. We can act like everything's together in our lives. But when people get glimpses, like if people were following us around every day and we were, there were videos and we said, okay, how many of us want to show the video from this past week 
or even this morning for everybody to see who would be the first volunteer, right? Say, well, none of us. All my thoughts, everything laid bare before the world to see, no way. It should humble us because what we find is that we are more sinful than we ever thought we could be. Like when I look at my life and I think, like as I grow in my relationship with Christ, I think, wow, I, I didn't know I was this bad, right? I didn't know that. But Christ tells me the truth. He says, here, I'm working on you. I'm working on you. I'm working on those heart things. I'm working on those things that people can't see. I'm working on those things because here's what it does. It humbles us to the dust, but it lifts us to the sky. It lifts us to the sky. The gospel is this. It says that you are more loved, accepted than you could have ever imagined. It takes us slow, but it lifts us up. As we humble ourselves before God, he says, I will be the one to lift you up. I will be the one to speak those truths into your life. And you don't have to pump yourself up anymore. Don't we feel like we got to do that? Like I got to pump myself up for the day. I got to pump myself up before I go in the office to make myself feel like I have value. He says, look to me. I'll give you a new identity. And I'll give you a new lens to look at yourself. You don't have to look at yourself any longer through your eyes. You can look at yourself through my eyes. But then this also gives us a new lens for others. Because what, this is what it should do. It should always give us hope. It should always give us hope. It should always give us hope for people. Because isn't the first thing like, that, that, that happens is, is when, when people start going to church and you think this is, oh no, this is somebody who's just going to be, uh, you know, just a Debbie Downer. They're going to just tear other people down because they're so good now. Right? Isn't that the, the perception that most people have of, of Christians? Like, oh man, well, they, they're just the goody two-shoes. They're just going to tear other people down because now they think that they're better. But, but what we find is that the gospel humbles us. And it lifts us up. And so what it should do is it should give us hope. If God could save a wretch like me, he could save anybody. He could save anybody. Because here's the entry point. It's not by how good you are. It's by grace. And so we should never give up on people because the gospel never gives up on people. Because if it did, then we wouldn't be here. There's always hope. And it gives you a new lens for life as you look around because maybe you go into that, that store or whatever and that person's rude and you think, man, if it wasn't for the gospel, I would be just as rude. I would just be just as mad, right? Like there's the only one who's made me who I am today is God. It's purely by grace. We can have a new lens of how we look at other people. The second takeaway is this. It gives us a new motivation for behavior. It gives us a new motivation for behavior. This is about gospel-motivated change, not guilt-motivated change. God doesn't guilt us to behave right. He gives us the grace to behave. Right, like the world, the way that we, we do this, like we think it's, it's about guilting people. But this is about a heart transformation. This is about an inside internal change. 
not just outward behavior modification. I look good on the outside because that's what Jesus was talking about when he looked at the Pharisees. He says, you are whitewashed tombs. You look good on the outside, but I know what's in your heart and it's not good. And the only way that now we can change is because we know the gospel, because we've been changed by Christ. And so um, it's interesting because in Galatians 2.14, and I'm not gonna have time to go into this text today, but there's a section where it says Paul opposes Peter. So you got Peter, one of the pillars of the church, walked with Jesus, but you got Paul who's coming in a little bit later, and he goes and he opposes Peter. Why? Because essentially in this verse, in Galatians 2, Peter was being racist. He was being racist. He was, he was cutting himself off, being exclusive, because there were false teachers that came in and said, well, you're better, Peter, because you're Jewish, and so you're kind of higher in the kingdom of God. And he got afraid. And so he thought, well, maybe I am better. And so he started going with these other people. And so Paul comes in, he says, Peter, your life is not in alignment with the gospel. And he opposes Peter. Here's what he doesn't do. He doesn't come in and say, Peter, you know the not being racist rule. You need to follow the not being racist rule. Because it's bad to be racist, right? Isn't it? It's like a terrible thing. But he doesn't come to him and say that. He doesn't guilt him to do the right thing. He says, Peter, you're not living in alignment with the good news. God has given us a better story. And you are living a story that is not the story that God has told us. That's why he says, I'm saving you from this evil age. What's the evil age right now? There's a lot of terrible stories that are being told right now. Let me save you out of that to a much better story. And how do you do that? Not by guilt, not by saying you didn't follow the rules. He says, Peter, Jesus gave us a better story and you're not living in alignment with it right now. And what happens? Peter repents and says, you're right. I'm not. And so it's not guilt motivated. It is gospel motivated. It's what Tim Chester says. He says, to say to temptation, I must not do this is legalism. To say, I need not do this because God is bigger and better is good news. God's so much better than this, this thing. I don't have to live that story anymore. I don't have to live that life anymore. God has snatched me out into a better story, a gospel story, a good news story. The last point is this. It gives us a new intersection for all of life. A new intersection for all of life. Where in your life are you still longing for more? Better relationships, more security, true significance, lasting acceptance. Look no further than the power of the gospel. Through the gospel, God intersects every area of our lives and begins to write a better story. See, our struggle, since I, I still have sin in my life, and you still have it as well, is that could God love me even though I'm still struggling with this? Don't you have those moments? 
Say, well, it feels like I should be further along than this. But the gospel comes in and says, no, God right now didn't love you because you had your stuff together, your life together. He loved you out of grace, and so he's actually writing a better story right now. It's happening. You're in the process of a better story. But how long will it take? A long time. But again, here's the gospel. He doesn't give up on you. He doesn't kick you to the curb because you didn't get your life right. He sticks with you through it all. He sticks with you through the hard times, through the difficult times, through it all. He sticks with you. That's the gospel. He loves us, and he is faithful. He's faithful. See, when we talk about people being faithful, like, yeah, maybe they might stick with us, but he is more faithful than any person you've ever met. He is. That's why I love Philippians 1, 6, when it says this, the Apostle Paul again, and I am sure of this, that he who began a good work in you will bring it to completion at the day of Christ Jesus. Well, when's it going to be complete, God? When am I going to be better? When are things going to be better? He says he who began a good work is going to finish it. God who started a work inside of your life isn't going to leave you in a story that's half written. I was sitting with a friend this week, struggling. And I, I love my brother. He knows the gospel. And, and what I said was this. I said, are you better than you were a year ago? Are you, look, look back at your life a year ago. Are you better than you were a year ago? Yeah. God's not done with you yet. He's still writing that story. See, it gives us a new intersection for all of life where, where the gospel just comes in in all these different angles. It's this beautiful diamond, multifaceted, just coming in gloriously. And so, what is the gospel for you right now? What is the gospel for you right now? I'm going to end with this. This past week, I, I was able to, you know, on Thursdays, I hang out with my son. And uh, we try to get time together, just hang out. And so a little bit early before school starts, I'll take him over to Starbucks. He loves it. Uh, but one of the things we've been doing is he, he really likes to play the iPad. He enjoys playing the iPad. And uh, so he likes playing games on there and all that stuff. And um, this week, we were just like, son, you know, you, we wanted to spend time together, but you're not going to take the iPad this week. And he just got so mad. So frustrated, just lose it like, Dad, I can't believe this. You're not going to let me play the iPad at Starbucks? I said, no, son, you're not playing this week. Because you said you wanted to spend time with me. You wanted a relationship with me. And I want you to know how much I love you. And I love you so much that I'm going to say, let's take all the distractions away so that we can sit down and talk. And so that day, after he got out of his room and his mom says, hey, you had a major blow up today and you really don't deserve to go with dad right now. You really don't deserve to get your hot cocoa today. But you know what? We're gonna give you grace because it's more important that you have a relationship with your dad and you have a, a growing 
appreciation for that relationship. And so she let him come out of the room. She talked to him. She says, this is because of what God has done. Grace, grace, grace. So she sends him out, and we go, and we go into Starbucks, and you know what? He was so engaged. He was so lit up. I look into his eyes. He tells me stories upon story about what's happening at school, about life, about all these other things. And that day, we just sat down. No technology, just wiped it all away and had our relationship. And the better story, wiping away all the junk, right, the junk that we think that this life is about, God says, I'm wiping that all away just for a moment so that you can see I want a relationship with you. I want a relationship with you and I really, really, really want to wipe all that stuff away so that you can see that I'm better than that stuff. And that I want to write a better story in your life. I want you to be telling me stories. I want to tell you stories. I want to have a relationship with you and there will be a gospel story that will be written throughout your life that is so much better than the junk out there. The gospel like my friend told me one time, he says, this is the best news no one's heard. God came for you. He sent his son for you. His son lived a perfect life, died for you and me in our place and said, I will give you everything you've ever dreamed of. Receive it. Receive it. So do you know the gospel today? Is it changing your life? I hope it does. Let's pray. Jesus, we thank you for the good news of the gospel. We thank you that Paul was so adamant at preaching the gospel. And God, we can't be a gospel-centered church apart from you. So I just pray for your spirit to encourage us, to help us to understand more and more about the beauties of who you are, what you've done for us, and the truth that is found solely in the gospel, the good news of Jesus. We love you, Lord. We thank you for, for loving us first. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Thank you for listening to this resource from Grace City Church. If you found this helpful, feel free to share it and enjoy more resources at gracecitysd.com. Grace City Church exists to equip people with the gospel for everyday life.